And I know you're all very disciplined right now. I see somebody eating a donut right Oh, It's okay. We're going to let it pass. You know, New Year's is that time where we get to take a step back and we get to say it's just like this weird time where we go, you know what, I want to live differently. I want to make some different choices. Um, I don't love how last year played out in these areas. And so it gives us all, I think even just as a culture, that, that time of moving forward. So we can ask each other, what are your goals? What are your, what are your uh, expectations for this year? A, a level of optimism. And I don't think there's a better time to talk about the series that we're into right now than right now. Because we're considering how we want to change some things in our lifestyle. And so this book that we're going to study is the book of James. And it is a very, very direct and a very convicting book on how we do faith in real life. What does that look like when we live our faith in action? More than just in word, more than just in idea. I was looking up this word... And I went on this blog uh, that people were, you know, you can ask questions like, hey, how, what's a word to describe this situation that's happening or this thing? And people, you know, all these English nerds get on there and they start going like, well, what about this word? And, you know, and then they lend to the question. I couldn't believe this one I read. This lady got on there and said, um, I need a word to describe my husband. And I was like, oh, this is like on like a little uh, definition website. She said, my husband, he is uh, someone who says he will do something and he never does it. And I'm like, oh, she's putting him out there. Like, and he said he would do this and he didn't deliver. He's like a one-thirds job done guy and doesn't finish two-thirds of it. And she's going on and on and on. And, and I don't even know what to do with him anymore. I'm frustrated with him, but I need a word to describe what this is. And I was confused. And so I began to read the comments. And the comments were, oh, your husband is unreliable. Here's the definition of unreliable. It sounds like your husband. And someone put in, oh, a flake. And I don't mean to be coarse about it. I'm like, coarse about calling him a flake? Whatever. And so he's a flake. And this is why he's flaky. And they need to start trashing the husband. And then he's overly ambitious. It's good, but it's bad. It means that he can't ever deliver, but he says everything. He's a procrastinator and a postponer. And then somebody put a word on there that I was like, oh, I like that word. And I thought, I, if I ever met her husband, I would call him this. He's a shirker. He shirks responsibility. And, I, and they put the definition on, and it described the husband's actions really well. And then finally, some poor person said, it sounds like you're really hard on your husband. I don't know if this is a good idea to, to putting him out here like this. And I thought, no, 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 no. They gave me the word shirker. I love that word shirker. Shirking off his responsibility. James, in chapter 1, and we'll go through the whole chapter. Chapter 1 probably should be read all, all as one, because there's a point to it and there's a process. But we're going to do it in a weird order. So, but James is looking for a word. He's trying to get a word about what it means to like, have faith in real life. And so I can see the wheels turning as he's writing the book. And in chapter 1, he finds his word. And it's called being a doer of the word. 
And so he starts the whole book with this phrase, being a doer of the word. And we'll get into it in a second, but I just think about this doer of the word. And what Chad spoke last week was so, so perfect for setting us up for what we're doing this series. And Chad was talking about when it comes to the new year, we've got all these things we want to do. We have all these things and these plans, but are we first lining them up with the cornerstone? Jesus, our cornerstone. He's the one who we line up our life and, and put the foundations in the right path so we can build a life of Christian living. Are we getting the cornerstone first? And I think in the series, you're going to find out James is questioning his, his audience. Is, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? And that makes a huge difference. He's encouraging the same thing. So we'll pray, and then we'll get into a little bit of why this book was written. God, we thank you so much for your word. That through James, you inspired a writing that is timeless. And God, that is actually very prescient for right now. And God, that we as a, as a, as a culture, as the people who can get maybe lazy in our faith, and we can get reluctant in our faith, God, we can maybe be a, a little bit more of a hearer of the word and not necessarily a doer of the word. But God, I just pray that James doesn't just teach us good thoughts that we can just ponder upon, but God, that they're convicting and that they move us forward. And I ask for anybody here who has been maybe stagnant in their faith, reluctant in their faith, run off by the church, and maybe just maybe sheepishly discovering their faith again or disappointed by you, God, where they felt like you've left them, that James reminds them of who you are and who they are to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of James is, uh, most people would believe and scholars would believe that this is the half-brother of Jesus, Mary's kid. And James, you can read about him in the Gospels. He's one of Jesus' brothers who doubts that he is who he says he is. So James doesn't start off on this great foot, right? When you read what we're going to read from James, you're like, how did you go from someone who didn't even believe in what Jesus was saying while you were with Jesus, raised with Jesus, and saw him endure so much, but yet you still are going to doubt. So James comes a long ways, almost so far that James becomes, at a time, the most prominent leader in Jerusalem for the Christian church. He is the converted Jews pastor. And so when persecution starts, all of his followers, it'd be like, if we're getting persecuted and you decide to move to Nashville, boo. If you decide to move to Florida, Arizona, all these places, people were bailing out of California and going, and God bless them. I love them. We still are connected with them. But James is still writing to those people who've left. Like as if I needed to write people letters and say, hey, how are you doing? Let me encourage you in this. He's still pastoring beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And Sometimes it's good to ask a few questions. Who, what, where, when, why? And James is writing kind of early in the establishment of the church. We know it's before 62 AD for sure. And he's writing to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and abroad. So this isn't to a particular people, a particular church like Paul would do. This is to all of the people abroad, his, his past congregants who have now had to leave because of hard times. And the reason he's writing is because persecutions become unbearable. 
Now, we don't realize this. In some communities, um, I was talking with someone the other day who, who was raised in a community that if you decided not to live after you were baptized in this denomination, then you were shunned from the people. And so, you, and to this day, they said that even at family gatherings, my one aunt will not even look at her sister because she is shunned from the community. She no longer exists. Now, they may have an understanding of what was happening to these people, but on top of that, you would most likely lose your lands. You could lose your inheritance. You would lose your community, and you were ostracized from the community. So they were feeling tremendous pressure, not from Rome quite yet but from within their own family and friends. And so they're struggling. He's going to challenge them. And maybe it's something we need to be challenging too. He's going to challenge them in their faithfulness. And we all need that. We need to be challenged in our faithfulness. He's going to challenge them. And James is so good about this because it's got all these little snippets throughout James that he's going to challenge them in their fundamentals. The fundamentals of how they're living. He's going to challenge them in a big way on their function. How are you functioning as a believer? He's got some major influences in his life. You'll, you'll feel it when you read it. It will read a little bit like, oh, I, I think I know that style, or I think I can quote where that, that saying is taken from. He's got these people, when you read it, it's like I can, I can hear these other influences. It's like Elvis. If you hear Elvis, you're going to hear B.B. King. If you're going to hear Elvis, you're going to hear Dean Martin. These are voices that were influences in his life, and so it comes out in his music, and you can hear them in the background. And for James, it's going to be the Sermon on the Mount, if you know that passage, and it's going to be Proverbs, and it's going to be ultimately be his half-brother Jesus, who he spent a lot of time with. So there's a tremendous amount of influence in his life in those areas. He's got persecution like when Paul was going through and locking people up and putting them in prison, separating families, and even killing people. So he's writing to his church, I don't even know how I would address you if this is what was happening to you. I, I, I praise James for his, uh, obviously guided by the Holy Spirit, but praise him for his strength in that time. Their lives are being turned upside down. Some of us, maybe 2023, was your lives were turned upside down. Some of you, maybe the, you, you didn't know a relationship was going to end, and it ended. Some of you had loss of life in your family. You didn't know your life was turned upside down, or you lost a job. And, and you're wondering, like these people are wondering, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? The church unity is beginning to break. Our church, I have to say, I'm so proud of our church. It's ne I've never experienced infighting within our church. I, I really haven't. I haven't seen groups of people saying, those people, oh, I've, I, and we're just so grateful. And if you have plans to do that, don't do that because <laughs> it's not, it's not going to work. He's keeping the unity of the church. Because what's happening is everybody is getting this mentality of every person for themselves. They've got to survive. You know, James, when you read a letter like this, and he's saying, stay strong in the midst of persecution, and you're like, yeah, what about you? Because usually we can see it sometimes when leaders will make big claims, 
but then we'll find out that they didn't live up to any of those values that they claimed, that they told everybody else to follow. And, and we do know in 62 AD, a writer who's not a, a, a Christian, he was a Jewish historian named Josephus. He was a contemporary of James. He does tell what happened to James. And he says James was eventually drug out, history goes, into the main courtyard area in Jerusalem and he was stoned in front of the very temple area, in, in front of that area in the courtyard, where he would go and worship. And he was killed by the high priest, the people that he was trying to do ministry alongside. And he was stoned to death. James, so when you read his letter, you know this guy lived it out. The problems are within the church he's seen, and you can hear Sometimes when you want to know what's going on, you can see what he's addressing when you read the Bible. It, there's fighting, there's desertion, there's revenge being taken because, I, I'm sorry, turn the other cheek only goes so far when they're slapping both cheeks and so you retaliate, you know what I mean? He's, there's doubts, there's people, everyone is going out about their own, and they're forgetting about those who they've taken in who have been suffering, who are less fortunate, and they're just going, it's about me, I got to take care of myself. I, I always struggle with that when you see that person in, who wants to uh, get to the very front of the line and they just cut through everybody else. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you're just giving them daggers and you're like, I hope you turn around, right? That's the most you do. I was in line at a, a pharmacy for a prescription I was getting and um, I was not feeling well at the time and this dad had gone up and he cut in front of everybody else to go get his prescription, which then backs up the whole line. And his daughter was behind me. And she was like, oh, dad, my dad, he's so embarrassing. He's so embarrassing. And the dad's like, come on. And everyone's looking. She's like, oh, dad, I can't, I can't. And then she goes and she gets a prescription. And we're just looking at him as he's going, like, how dare you? Everyone for themselves, that's a small example. But these people are leaving people who they've committed to take care of and help. Let's read James 1.19. If you have your Bibles, open them up, or you can go back and read it later or on your app. James 1.19 is good because I, I want to start here because I think James is building to something, but let's just go to the very end. I'm going to let's do the spoiler alert now because then we can go back and it gives a better actually context to read. James, James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, so you can tell he's addressing something. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, therefore put away all filthiness and, and, uh, and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness implanted word which is able to save your souls, not fighting, not going out and infighting, not abandoning those, or not taking for yourselves and leaving others behind. He's saying, if you were to interpret this, it would be, he's saying, listen and learn. He'd say, don't let your anger mislead you, thinking that's going to get you justice. It will not. And don't let your hopelessness pull you down into despair, into sin, to go after the things that you thought you would find hope in. Verse 22, this is kind of the title of the message. Be doers of the word, and not only hearers, or hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Oh, man, this, uh, this, I could just stay here all day long. Could I not? 
Coming into church, hearing the word, walking out, and then are you doing the word? You read something and you're convicted by it. You have a, something God's speaking in your heart, but are we doing it? You know, hey, listen, I, I don't care if I ever get an amen in this church ever because all the, the amen of your life is how you live your life. That's a real amen, not just vocally. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror. When I read this, I laughed out loud because it reminds me of one of my daughters who cannot stop looking in the mirror, just <laughs> cannot stop. And she'll look at the mirror and she'll be looking at herself in the mirror. She'll sit while we're eating, looking at herself in the mirror. I'm like, do you forget what you look like? I, like, I can tell you exactly what you look like. It's funny, but it's like this person who stares in the mirror intently at his natural face. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forget what he was like. This is the challenge James is saying to people. Have you forgotten who you are? You, you, you knew who you are for a minute, but you're, you're like the person who just, the you, you, minute you step away from being faced with something. And sometimes the gospel is a mirror in front of you. And, and, and it will tell you and show you like, oh, I've got to work on this. I've got to change this. Or I need to be more like this. And we turn away for just a second and we forget any of that. Or I am this in Jesus. I am this person. Like that song we just sang. But then we turn away and we forget. So there's Sunday you and then there's Monday you is what he's saying. And he's challenging them. Do you, are you a Sunday you or are you going to be Sunday all week long? Or are we going to have to meet Monday you? And so this is hard, hard stuff when you're in the midst of trial and difficulty. And then he goes in 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. This is the yoke is easy that Jesus says. This is the love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is that law and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but listen to this, but a doer who acts. And that's what James is going to call these people to. Don't abandon the post. Be a doer. He will be blessed in his doing. And what James is saying, don't be a shirker. <laughs> it worked perfectly when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's a shirker. He's describing a shirker. A person who says, oh, I love how it sounds, but I hate how it looks. Our Christianity, our faith, our beliefs. Sounds so good, but I hate how it looks. It was good until it, it got hard. And then it's not so good. God is good, but when it's hard, I don't know if he's good, right? This is what he's challenging. It was real until reality set in. God was real then. But you got to remember, when we operate of faith, faith will not forget. Faith doesn't forget. Belief isn't an idea, and pressure makes perfect. 
You know, we don't like pressure. But in the world, we hear it all the time of like, oh, it's like a kind of a new fad of like, oh, push yourself. Because you don't know. You don't know what you're capable of. And push yourself physically and push yourself. And you hear it all the time of like, your body, it needs to be moving all the time. Or you need to be reading maps. So when you get older, your brain is still functioning the way it needs to. Like you hear all of this stuff. Your body needs resistance. But when it comes to our faith, James is saying, oh, wait a minute. Then we run. Then we shrink back. But, but, but James is going to encourage them, like, no, 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 push yourself because pressure makes perfect. I love this commentary uh, phrase I read here. He said, James here agrees with an ancient moralist, with those ancient moralists, non-Christian, that theoretical correctness matters little if one's life doesn't conform to the ideas one spouses. It doesn't matter what we say, it will matter what we do. And I don't think that that means that, oh, if I don't do these things, I can't be a Christian. I think James is saying, let's aspire to a higher way of living, which is don't talk, do. Less talking, more doing. Don't talk a good game, play a good game. Oh, I hate the Monday morning quarterback. Or the Monday, whatever. Like, I hate that. The person's like, oh, I would have done this. I would have. Have you ever thrown a football? If you ever hear me talk about football, if you've ever seen me throw a football, you should know I should never talk about a football. <laughs> Honestly. But there are a lot of Christians who are doing this. They are not playing the game. They are talking the game. It's a good idea. And when times get tough, it's no longer a good idea. You know, one of my friends who was a band director for this church I work for in Texas, he was maybe one of the most talented musicians I probably had ever seen. And he had all the goods, everything. Great songwriter, great, could play every instrument. And he, I never knew. I heard people talk about him. And I never knew, and so I he become friends. I said, would you be my band director for my group? And not my singing group, my youth group. <laughs> Don't want to mislead anybody. And so a guy came up in his 20s, and he came up, and he went to my friend. And I don't know much about music. And he's like, dude, oh, yeah, I want to play. Like, I play all the time. I've been in three different bands. Like, I can play da-da-da-da. Um, I do this. I practice all the time. I'm probably four or five hours a day. And, play. and I was like, oh, wow, wow. I'm very impressed. And I, after he walked away, I told my friend, I said, man, he's going to be really great. And he goes, oh, no, he's terrible. And I was like, what? He's like, he's terrible. He's like, no, he can't play. And I was like, dude, you just hear what he said. He's been playing for years, da, 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 since he was young, and he can play by ear. And he's like, no, 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 Ryan, people who can play and people who play do not tell you that stuff. They just do, and we ask them to play. And I was like, oh. Yeah. James is looking for this type of person who doesn't just talk a big game, who's going to walk it out. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Meaning this, big claims, no delivery. You got to control what we say. And not in a sense of like controlled and like, I can't say anything. God's micromanaging my words. No, 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 no. The big boasts, the big claims, let your actions speak louder than your words. And here he goes, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the, the Father, is this, 
You want to know, he's saying to his people, you want to know what true religion is, pure religion? Go ahead and tell me how many orphans and how many widows that are afflicted have you gone or how many have you left? Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is why I wanted to read this in the very beginning and so we can see where he was building them up to. This is the crushing truth. They're leaving these people behind to protect themselves and he said, and you also must keep oneself abstained from the world. Meaning, is this how Jesus would live? Is this how you're choosing to live? So he hits them hard. Now it gets easier, but he sets the stage really well. He is literally bringing them, and I, when we reach after one, we'll go through it real fast, is that he's bringing them through a, a Chad and I were talking about this, it sounds like he's bringing them through a boot camp. Like, you can't go to war until you've gone to boot camp. You've got to get some of the fundamentals. Don't put a ruck on and think you're just going to go. Like, you've got to learn how to hold a gun. You've got to learn how to... He is challenging them. Do you have the metal and has it been tested? So we're going to ask a question, and he'll answer it here. How do we become solid? How do we become true? And how do we become a doer of the word? How do we have faith in real life? And... Uh, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to make statements, but they're questions. They're questions for ourselves. The first thing he's going to do, he's going to ask this question. You'll hear it in the statement. How do you handle tests? So now we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter when he's saying, this is what's been missing. Let's go back and see. This is how you can become someone who practices the true religion. How do you handle tests? Do you quit? Do you complain? Are you just like, oh, God, I don't know, or, oh, here I am again, or, oh, there's a dark cloud. How do you handle tests when they come? Let's go to verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, resilience. I always, I, I, um, you, <laughs> I used to preach on verses that I never really put into practice. Have you ever quoted somebody a verse that you actually never lived out yourself? Oh, now we're not going to be honest in here. I have done cliches. I have done platitudes. I have given verses of like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but I don't know what that's like. And then when their problem came upon me, I did not go to that verse and nor did I stand on it. I didn't understand the testing of some truths the testing of my faith, and it produces steadfastness. And when you begin to take just steps forward, our, our Christian faith is not about taking steps back. It's about taking steps forward. And I don't care how big they are or how small they are. James is saying, count it all joy, because guess what? You're becoming stronger. You're becoming stronger, wiser. And let steadfast ha steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I want to I read this really good statement here. It's for, uh, from another commentary I was reading. It says, it, in this section right here he's talking about, it also challenges a longing for faith that is secure from trial and testing by insisting that faith only matures when it endures. Now, if you could take that one statement... And, and just lock it up in your heart. Faith only matures when it endures. And that's how you grow spiritually in, in your maturity in faith. Um, you know, I've got vices in my life. I'll share one now. And it is reality TV. 
I love reality TV. And if you know me, you know I love it. There's a show called Married at First Sight. I'm on season 16. Don't judge. And so <laughs> season 16, I'm watching it, and there was a, a couple. What happens is you get married. You don't know each other. They match you, these experts, and they marry you, and then you say, I do. And then eight weeks later, you decide if you can hack it or you get divorced. It's increasing the divorce rate like exponentially. I don't know if I agree with that. But there's a guy on there, his name is Pastor Cal, you know, I think it's cool, they got a pastor on there, and he's advising this couple, and this one lady had called it quits after 11 days of marriage. 11 days, and they were separated for three days of the 11, <laughs> and he sits down, she's like, and here's what she said, she goes, mm, I'm over it. I'm over it? You just got married. You just said, I want to build a life together. I can't match myself, so I had someone else match me, and I'm over it. And Pastor Cal just gave her such a great little talk. And he was like, hey, you're, you cannot, that's not marriage. That's not commitment. That I just it got hard, and you had a fight, and you're over it. 11 days. James is saying, guys, listen, things got tough, but you can't be over it. You got to push. So I've got a question for you, and how do you handle tests? Is how do you fare in testing times? If you can recall back, think about what you were like and what was going on, and did you run to God, and did you get to your knees, or did you search the scripture, or did you seek counsel, or did you, did you pull yourself around your Christian community, or did you run? How do you fare in testing? Doesn't mean because you failed that it's, it, you're a failure. It just means that maybe you didn't understand something. How, 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 how much that testing is going to endure you in, 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 if you pass it. Another question he's going to ask in a statement is, are you a stone or are you water? We like to think of ourselves as like, oh, I'm water. I can shift and move. And No, 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 no. Not when it comes to your faith. Are you a stone or are you water? James 5, 8, uh, 5 through 8. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Meaning this, if you lack wisdom on the revelation of the faith and the decision that you made and the sureness of who you are, ask God, he'll reveal it to you. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. No doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave at the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must, uh, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If he's saying, if you lack a revelation or assuredness of your faith, ask God, because he's the one who gave that to you. He will reassure you in it. If you ask lack understanding about the gospel, ask God. It, it, it's like some Christians can do this, and, 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 and we can be like a little bit like a politician. You ever see a politician on the campaign trail? It's almost disgusting when you watch it. They're like, hi, oh, from Texas. Hi, y'all. And it's like, what? You've never, what? You're from Brooklyn. Like, like It's like this weird thing where they're just something, everything they need to be, they need to say it, and they say the right things, whatever they need to say. That is not our faith, and that is not we're called to be, called to be a stone, a rock, not just toss whatever way, whatever direction, whatever answer we need to give. Another question he's going to ask, so I would ask you, are you anchored to the rock? That would be a good question. Are you anchored to the rock? Because life was going to throw you every which way. 
Another question he's going to ask in the middle of the statement is, are circumstances your barometer? Like, do we just go by whatever circumstances are and that's what we gauge? That's how we measure? Oh, my circumstances are good. It is so awesome being a Christian when things are good. Are they not? Oh, God blessed me with this. Or, oh, he blessed me with a new job. It's so great when it's great. But circumstances, James is saying, cannot be your barometer. If things get better, it doesn't mean things are better. You have to be a stone. He says, let the lowly boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, meaning the rich. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls. The beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of all of his pursuits, meaning that easy times won't save you. Last year, I found myself saying, man, I hope 2024 is better. I'll I'll be a stronger person. I'll be a better Christian. And I got it all wrong when I say those things. I'll be more faithful. No, 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 no. Easy times won't make a better Christian. Hard times probably will, and they'll test your mettle. And he's saying, don't just go, oh, God, if, if things get better, make my circumstances better. And James is saying, what if they never get better? Who are you still? And who is God to you? Making being a Christian a real life easier, right, by circumstances. No, 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 no. I wrote out a couple things that people generally will say when it comes to their faithfulness and faith. They'll say things like, oh, I would be more generous if I had money. Oh, I'd be so generous. Oh, if I won the lotto, I'd give half of it away. You're going to give half of it away anyways to the government. So (laughs) that's not your donation. Like, I I would be so much more generous if I had more. If I was more like them, I I would be generous. Oh, if I would volunteer if I had the time. And, and trust me, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to say, this is generally kind of things the way we can think sometimes. I'll volunteer if I had more time. Oh, I would, I would pray more if my life wasn't so chaotic. I, I would, but my life's too chaotic. I can't even get a good prayer out. I would have more joy if I, if I had a life like those people. Look at how they smile. And they've even got this beautiful dog. And oh, picturesque. I would be more joyful like that, but look at me, my life. What do I have to be happy about? James is questioning them. Is it your circumstances? If you think that's what's going to save you, you're wrong. Am I waiting? The question would be for this, is am I waiting for things to be better before I, you fill in the blank. And he's challenging them. No, no, no. Circumstances are not as what should elevate your faith. It should be your faith in whatever the circumstances are. Two more and I'll finish. How is your endurance is the next section. How You can see it building. He's talking about testing. He's talking about being a stone. He's talking about your circumstances. And then he's going to ask, how is your endurance? James 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say that he is tempted I am being tempted by God. (laughs) You know, I want to stop here for a second. I'll finish reading it. Um, For God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And James is saying, "Don't, don't confuse testing and tempting with temptation. 
Temptation is of sin and of the devil. Tempting and testing will, yes, be of God and to endure. Oh, well, I just, I, I was driving by and God's testing me. I had to drive over to the uh, strip club and I didn't want to. God, why? No. <laughs> this is what James is saying. I think you got it backwards. Outside and outward trials is a test of your faith. Inward turmoil and temptation is of sin. And in nature, we are continually offering up to God so we don't give in to those desires. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I love this definition of sin. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And if we let it linger, and we let it sit around, and just say, oh, God, what have you done to me? No, 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 what have you done to yourself? I'm repairing my car right now, and I'm a little embarrassed to say I have a power steering pump that I'm going to be replacing today. And my power steering pump, I have let leak. And it's not good. So I would park it in my driveway, and I'd go out, and I'd spray a degreaser every time I parked, and I would power wash that area and be like, we'll do it again tomorrow. Like, I'm just not taking care of it. And it's just happening for a long time. And then eventually, it then ruined my alternator, which then I have to replace that today. So like, it just is festering and growing, and I'm just covering it up as I'm going and pouring more stuff in there. It Just let it grow, and this is what sin does. It will begin to manifest and take other other parts of your life, and then eventually bring forth death in your life. Do I check temptation well when it comes in my life? And do I endure and pass test and push through like James is saying, you must do? And the last one is this, is do you know who you are? Pastor James is going to ask them. Do you know who you are? Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation of shadow change or due to change. Now he's setting it up. God doesn't change. God's not going to hit you with curveballs. God's calling you to one thing and one thing only. It is to endure. It is to pass tests. It is to be, hang on to the rock. And it is to not look around at your circumstances. It is to push through. Who are you? So they can have a firm foundation in that what Jesus said is true. Now, that's why I love verse 18. And of his own, God meaning of himself, he gave essentially not birth to sin, birth to you. Of his own, he, will, he brought us forth from the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. I love that. Do you know who you are? He's saying, have you forgotten who you are? Those who are bolting out of town and leaving the widows and orphans and those who are like, I've just got to take as much as I can for myself and I've got to go and protect myself. Is he saying, well, do, have you forgotten who you are? Do you really know how different you really are is a question you should ask yourself. Set apart. A new creation. All things are new. So let's see how Pastor James challenges them when we look back at it and we'll close. Is doers of the word love God and love people? 
You want to be a doer of the word? That's the problem he's seeing not happening. He's seeing hearers only, and they're deceiving themselves. Doers of the word. They love God with all their heart, and they love people. And I know people are tough, and I know people are difficult, and I know that a lot of times we want to put ourselves first. But he's saying, do you love people? Is your faith in action? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, love is action. Love is action in God's kingdom. It moves. It doesn't stay still, and it doesn't just give big, big, beautiful speeches. It does. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You've heard it at weddings, but you've got to read it in the context of love in action. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Do you hear action in love? So that's what James is calling the people to, to push through, pass tests, and act in love. That is faith in action to James. How can love shine even in the midst of hardship? Like, how can I love when maybe I don't feel loved? How can I love when everything is going so difficult? Those people, it's easy to love. Look at them. What about me? How about in the midst of your outward pressure or fear or depression or doubt or inward struggles or even caught up and snagged down by sin? How can you love? How can it shine through? And it's those things James just ran them through, that little boot camp. And here's your boot camp. You need to, you need to see tests differently. Difficulty is not that God is not on your side. And even when you get caught in sin and temptation, God will help you overcome it if you ask him. But you must endure. So God, how, you should ask yourself, how do you test? And should you think about tests differently? You can't be pushed all over the place. That's what James is telling them. This is how love, love, love ends in action. You can't just be moved all over. Whatever is pushing your way, love is consistent. And you cannot look for salvation in circumstances because no one is coming. We, we put so much trust in that in our culture today. But you have to put it in the right place. You have to put it on the rock. And you must endure and fight temptation. You've got to. And, and I'll just be very strict. Don't blame your temptation or failures on the fact that God wasn't there for you when you have not handled it properly. You were just like me with my car. And you let it go, and you let it go, and you've been covering it, and you've been dealing with it, and you've been letting it snag, and next thing you know, it's snowballing. God, God will put you through tasks, though, that's for sure, to strengthen you, just like you would with your kids, just like you would if you were a coach. You're going to push them further to embrace the word and the truth, and you must know who you are and to whom you belong, and that is how you build your identity, and that's what you build your identity from. You are a new creation, perfectly made. Jesus paid it all for your identity. We should walk in it, James is saying. That is how you do faith in real life. We're going to take communion, and James isn't talking to just individuals, and I don't want, it's very clear throughout the book, but, but 
James is talking to you as individuals in maybe some challenging ways that this Holy Spirit might be convicting you on or challenging you on. But also, James is speaking to a community. And it's very clear that communities are stronger when they're together. And they're stronger when they have a, a united front. And why we do communion is because we, as a people, all in humility come down here and we take this little cracker and we take this little cup of grape juice and we take it back to our seat and we reflect. And we say, only you, Jesus. Only you. And so the, in that last song, I love that last song Jess sang. Because in that song, it's, in, I'm not this, I'm not sickness, I'm not this, I'm, it's only you. It's only you. And that's what the communion table does, is all of us are on equal playing ground. We are all new creations, and we are equally finding our source of life at the price Jesus paid on the cross. And this is a reminder. And we need that reminder. But my hope is that Sunday you doesn't forget what Sunday you looks like in the mirror. That tomorrow you go and you take what you heard today or you take what, if you go back and reread James and you extract it and go, I'm going to live these principles. I'm going to look at tests differently this week. I'm going to endure instead of quit. I'm not going to blame and project. I'm going to just anchor onto the rock. I'm, I, I'm going to remind myself again of who I am and to whom I belong in the midst of difficulty. And I'm going to remind myself that I am in a community of people who are striving for the same thing, and so I'm not alone. Let's pray. God, we ask that you just, um, during this time of communion, in this reflection time, God, that each one of us individually, God, that we have a greater inspiration of what you did on the cross, Jesus, and that we remind ourselves we can do nothing without you and apart from you. We owe everything to you. From our, from our death to sin to our rebirth into righteousness. God, help us live that out in real life. That we are people of action. And not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. For your kingdom, for your sake, God. And then we'll be blessed. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Anytime you can come forward, grab communion, head back to your seat, and then we'll close up in a little bit.